Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. This is an interview style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers and sometimes wrestlers. I am your host, the Sizz Dog. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I am awesome. Some of you may know, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, I'm a big wrestling fan and yesterday was my favourite pay-per-view of the year, the Royal Rumble. And I must say, it was pretty, pretty, pretty good. It was probably the best rumble in recent memory, if I can be honest. Um, A few surprises along the way. Um, My only criticism um, is that it went for five hours. So uh, it was certainly a bit of a marathon session, but still a great rumble, man. And if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it for you. No spoilers here. I won't tell you any of the matches and who won and who went over and blah, 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 blah. But as I said, great pay-per-view. Um, this week on the podcast, I had a, j- a chat with Jason Maracas, a bass player for Divine Ascension. And uh, Jason and I had a great chat. Uh, he reveals when he was in Poland, he tells a great story about how he uh, had to spend 250 Australian dollars in three days, Brewster's Million style. So yeah, stick around for that one. It is a doozy. Art of Touring is brought to you every single Tuesday. You can listen to Art of Touring on iTunes or on the Google Podcasts app on your Android device. And remember, Art of Touring is a part of the A Lot of Green podcast network. And you can check out all the other awesome podcasts on their network at www.alotofgreen.com.au. There is some coarse language in this week's episode, so if you are listening with children, uh, it might be a good idea to throw on uh, The Real Ghostbusters. It's on Netflix. Seriously, if you want to have a bit of nostalgia, throw The Real Ghostbusters on Netflix. It's sick. And then once they're out of earshot, throw Art of Turing back on. Now let's take a moment for this week's sponsor. Episode 41 of Art of Turing is brought to you this week by Kramer's Shower Garbage Disposal Solutions. Are you sick of preparing your meals in the kitchen? Do you want to cook and bathe at the same time? Then head on over to Kramer's Shower Garbage Disposal Solutions. Our head installer, David Putty, will guide you step-by-step through the installation process so you can make delicious meals while you shower. The latch has beneath main drainage line. Oh, come on, Clarkman. <laughs> Buddy. Is uh, David Putty there? This is Putty. Well, this is Kramer. I know. Um, listen, you're a mechanic. Could you help me install a garbage disposal? Well, it's a big job. You've got to dismantle the latch hasp from the auxiliary drainage line. Oh, it says main line. It's a misprint. What do you got, a Clarkman? Yeah. Hey, but I'll call you back. I'll talk you through it. Oh, okay. Well, thanks, Putty. Uh, picture me, Nick. Hang on. What are you up to? Oh, just cooking up a little thank you for Putty. Hey, how do you make those radish roses? Insert a knife into the center and twist. Then, to make it bloom, soak it in water for 30 to 40 minutes. No problem there. Mmm, the food is fantastic, Kramer. Oh. And what a pretty radish rose, huh? Well, thank you. Well, here's on her first week of being germ-free free. Yeah. And here's to David Putty for helping me install a much-needed and much-appreciated garbage disposal in my bathtub. Ah. Yeah. You have a garbage disposal in your bathtub? 
Oh, yeah, and I use it all the time. Yeah, I made this whole meal in there. This food was in the shower with you? Mm-hmm. I prepared it as I bathed. Just so you know, Art of Touring is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on your desktop, you can just Google Art of Touring and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Before I get into my conversation with Jason, I'd like to play you some of his music. This first track is a is their current single for his band Divine Ascension. It's called Evermore. Check it out. Also, here's another taste of Divine Ascension. This one is a track called Beyond the Line. Check this one out. Here we go. There's a little taste, two tastes, how lucky are you, of Divine Ascension. So that should whet your appetite for the band. And uh, if you want to hear the whole track of those two tracks, then you've got to go check it out on your lonesome. Now let's get into my conversation with Jason, the bass player behind those two songs. And I'll catch you at the end for some closing remarks. Here he is. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. I am your host, the Sizz Dog. We're sitting here in the uh, Siriani Studios. It's a beautiful, uh, sunny Melbourne day in January 2019. And across from me, I have the bass player extraordinaire from Divine Ascension, Mr. Jason Maracas. How are you, Jason? What an introduction, Sizz Dog. <laughs> Thank you very much. I didn't, I didn't have anything written uh, down. I tell you what, I'll take extraordinaire any day of the week. Yes, brilliant. So you're doing well, mate? What's going on? Oh, what can I tell you? It's the uh, the the wondrous holiday season. Yes, it is. We've uh, had the um, the festivities and the uh, ringing the new year. So yeah, it, we're right in the middle of it at the moment, aren't we? That's it. You know, so everybody's starting to go back to work now. Yeah, January seventh. 
Um, I think this is if you if you do abide by the twelve days of Christmas today is the day that you can take down your Christmas decorations. There we go. So I like my lights. I, it's, I'm, I'm going to look into my uh, living room there, yeah. and I'm going to see this big empty space <laughs> where the Christmas tree resided. Yes. I'm already planning what I can do with that space because if you have a look around you, you can see I have a bit of a space problem. Yes. Um, but uh, look, you know, um, I know what I already want to do with my Christmas tree area. Um, all right, let's get stuck into it, big fella. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What's your story? Oh, here we go. And I'm not here we go in a condescending way. No, no, no. It's um, I, I'm a Western Suburbs lad, yep. you know, so I grew up in uh, Werribee Hoppers Crossing mm-hmm. and um, all the way out there, the wondrous Weza for, for the people in the know. Um, interesting place, you know, yeah. growing up. It was nice and quiet once upon a time and continually got bigger and bigger. It, yeah. was, it was very interesting. You kind of, uh, the area that we moved, well, really, we're uh, 27th generation farmers. So right. it sort of started in, uh, you know, Werribee South there, where yes. the, um, the market gardening cauliflowers, you know, we had them for dinner and lunch and breakfast and <laughs> whenever, you know, cauliflowers because they were on the farm and then um, and then decided to move out into the residential areas. And then so you actually we grew in, up on, on a farm? Well, it co grew up. So so we did have the residential house whilst the farm was being owned, but it was in the stages of moving out of the farm. Ah. So th- there was a farm involved. There yeah. was wild so you animals. Could, you could run around a big property when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. you know, there, there, cool. there was goats and yeah. sheep and um, lots of vegetables and wow. tractors, you know, you got to drive them all and oh, you know, <laughs> do all that kind of stuff. Oh, as a kid that would have been great. Oh, you know, get muddy and yeah. run around and that kind of stuff. And then um yeah, and then into the residential and then you know, where you move into uh, a lot of young families sort of moved in there. So yeah. we all grew up together and we all went to school together. And then as the area got older, all us kids got older and we all sort of, um, you know, moved on from the areas. So Sure, yeah. You know, just that uh, social evolution, I guess. Yeah, right. And um, so what's your family dynamic? Are there any brothers or sisters in your family? Oh, I've got three older sisters. Three older sisters? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, no, no boys. Mm. Um We've and got the cousins, but uh, yeah. they scattered around. So it's sort of within that area. It, it was just sort of direct family and, and indirect family friends kind of stuff. Mm. And uh, are, are any of your older sisters um, musicians or in the artistic realm? Or <clears throat> Not musicians. No. no, no, no. No one in the family's, like direct family's musician. Um, Artistic-wise, you know, I think everyone in the family has a little bit of an artistic flair some, somewhere, whether sure. it be sort of textiles or, or painting art or, or fashion design or, or something like that, or, mm. you know, even, even sort of my mum's a little bit into the cake making. So, you know, everyone's got it, their, their artistic kind of outlet. Sure. We, we were very, you know, I'll say that the farm mentality is really create your own entertainment. Yeah, right. So, so it's not it's not sort of put the kids down in front of the TV in the 1980s and watch Sesame Street and <laughs> here's your babysitter. It's it's go out in the backyard and make a mud pie, entertain yourself. You know, yeah, it's yeah. that um, that thing. And if it's broken, you know, you don't buy a new one. You repair the one that yeah, you got. Man. So so we, it was really that that farmer's dynamic that we had. Yeah. Um, in the family, so so everyone is handy. Everyone's you know, c- can repair something or fix something or, or create something. So so I'd say we had a real creative, mm. uh, you know, household growing yeah, up. Nice. Yeah, nice. Um, and when did you start playing music? As a kid or into your teenage years? Oh, I've got a, this is a bit of an, an epic story. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to ran on for a little bit here. No, nah, that's why we're here. Uh, so, so 
I've got three older sisters growing up in the height of the big hair, glam, hard rock 80s. Yes. That's what it was. You know, so, so you know, um, mid 80s, you know, is when I'm, you know, five years old, you know, so like I'm, I'm the same age as you, Dave, you know, so, uh, you know, born smack bang on the dawn of a new decade. Yeah, 1980, and, um, there you go. There you go. And then... Uh, so, so you know, when you're starting to understand what music actually is, yes, you know, because you know, as a, as a kid, you don't really know, and if if you're not at school yet, you're not exposed to to other things. So, the only real influences you have from the outside world are your siblings and your parents, and and you know, the older people mm. representative in your life. There, mm. so uh, I've got three older sisters, and the senior most, which is about nine years older than me. So, while I'm a toddler. Sort of five year old. I've yeah. got these fourteen year old, thirteen year old sisters who are who are right into the glam metal, big hair, Bon Jovi oh, wow. kind of thing. Because you know, not only the boys were pretty, but the girls wanted to look like the boys because that's what yeah. the album covers were. You <laughs> know, you got thing, you got Poison open up up and say ah, and here yeah. you've got you know all these guys on this front cover that are you know look like more tits. makeup than girls. You know, yeah. like it's bigger hair. You know, that's how it was. So so my sisters were right into the spandex. Uh, rock, you know, yeah. and that kind of stuff. So, so for me, growing up, it was that that's the only music I'd heard, and yeah. I, I thought it was spectacular. You know, I'd, I'd, I loved music, and, and I mm. thought, wow, this is this is something I want to be involved in. Wow. Then I've got a um, older cousin. We went around to visit, and he was learning drums at school, and he had a drum kit that he'd brought home from school to practice drums. So the school had lent him a drum kit. He was learning drums. Yep. We've gone over to visit. I'm a seven-year-old kid, and I've, I've gone and sat on this drum kit, and uh, my mind has oh, <laughs> exploded. It's gone, mate, what is this contraption in front of me? Yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't believe it. I didn't even... I knew it made noise. I knew I got to hold sticks. You know, it's, I, I got to hit stuff. It's everything that, that you know, a grade one grade two kid could dream of. Yes. You know, that's it. And so I'm sitting on these drums and I'm, I'm smashing them and I'm loving them. We go home and, and I'm smacking everything. I'm belting it. I want to be a drummer. Yeah. That's it. I've said, Mum, Dad, I'm playing drums. And how old were you, did you say? I, I was seven, eight years old. Perfect. That was it. So yeah. I'm, I'm young, seven, eight years old. I'm hearing all these, these glam rock, big Def Leppard stadium drums. Yes. You know, I'm hearing this stuff and I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. That's, yeah. uh, you know, and so my parents, uh, you know, again, we, we got, you know, coming from a farming lifestyle, we've got this mentality. It's like, don't buy it, you make it, you know? So mm. if you want one, you know, like, like we'll get something for you. But they were really nice. That Christmas, they bought me a practice pad and drumsticks. Awesome. And I remember going to... Brashes, yeah, <laughs> in, in Burke Street Mall. I think it's where HMV is now. Yeah, I remember that store, and, man. And for all the young kids listening out there, once upon a time, music stores used to actually sell musical instruments as well. Yeah, Brashes would so, have instruments as well so, as CDs. Yep. Yeah. So, so well, I don't even think they had the CD. It was cassettes and records until CDs sort of came in, maybe just a little bit in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. So cassettes, records. And they had a musical instrument department. So they had a music yeah. store built onto it. And I remember going in there and my mum saying to the to the, the storeman there, 
my son wants to play drums. We're going to get him some drumsticks. Don't yeah. know what to get him. Yeah. And then the fella says, well, are they for him? And he's like, yep. So he got me a pair of mine L7As. I still own them. Wow. They've been busted and taped up more times than I can think. But I, I still remember I got these mine L7As. They were like toothpicks. But they were my <laughs> drumsticks. And I got a practice pad for Christmas. Yeah. And my parents were kind of on the thing saying, you know, we'll see how he goes with this practice pad. If he only plays it for two weeks and doesn't want it anymore... Then, cool, the drums are over. Yes. Thank God the drums are finished. Yes. Because you know? <laughs> I think that's the biggest dread of all parents is that, uh, you know, <laughs> your eight-year-old comes home to the want to play drums and I it's... I know, uh, look, in- I've interviewed a bunch of, well, not a bunch, but a couple of drummers and um, and drummers part of bands within the interview. And whenever they t- tell the story of how they wanted to play drums and you hear the story back from the parents, it's never like yeah no worries we'll buy your drum kit it's always like we'll see how you go and yeah so this is very very common yeah it, it's not a real positive reinforcement from the parent side of things mm. you know it's um it's you know oh drums i don't I know, know how that's gonna go what are the neighbors gonna think it's an expense it's a big item you know all that kind of stuff mm. so some my parents were awesome I, i'll say you know the fact that they even gave it a shot i'm i'm just super happy thanks mum yeah. and dad yeah. and um so we've got drumsticks i had the practice pad and and you couldn't get me off it. Right. I was living on this practice pad. Yes. That, that was it. That was my thing. I didn't care about anything else. There was a practice pad in front of me. I had sticks and the practice pad wasn't enough. You know, so now I'm, I'm hitting the wood of the bed head. I'm hitting yeah. the wardrobe door. I'm hitting the carpet. I'm, I'm investigating all the pillows, new sounds. Yeah. Because a drum kit has more than one sound. Yeah. And, and in my head, this rubber mat that I have yes. just didn't do what drums did. So I, I needed to find different things in order to do that. Mm. And then so... Uh, okay, so that would have been seven, and then at eight, I, I think my mum finally bit the. I, I still wanted to play drums. I want to play drums. I want to play drums. And she bit the bullet. And there was a music store in Werribee, uh, right across the road from where the the music store in Werribee is now. Mm. And they took me in there, and I was a tiny kid. I'm not a big fella by any means at the moment, but you know, as a junior, you know, late bloomer, I, you could say. Um, so they've taken me in and I was in grade two, so I would have been eight years old, Yes, but I probably looked like I was in kindergarten or prep. Yeah, quite small. I was tiny, you know, that's just how it was. Sure. So so we walk into this music store, my mum walks up to the front counter, says to the fellow, I can still remember this, it was the dingiest, if anyone remembers music stores from the 1980s, (laughs) you know, the smell of sheet music was in the air and it's stale paper and, um, it's not as glamorous as what it was today. Oh no, dodgy, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, you know. Uh, I can. I, I'm just reminiscing the smell, and it's Dude, taking me on I, a journey. I remember going to my drum lessons um, when I was ten years old at Main Street Music in Greensboro, and you would. It was literally the practice rooms were out the back, right near where the toilets were. That's it. And it was dingy and dodgy <laughs> and like just grungy. And before that was even a term, you know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah, I I know exactly what you're it. talking it's, about. It's, it's pastel blue walls with mold yeah, growing like, up from the bottom, and it's yes. you know it's um you know. For everyone that's a uh, post-millennial child, you yeah, know, just man, nod so your head good. in gratefulness. You because know? The, the business wouldn't exist in 2018. Anyone would walk into the back and go, this is where you're teaching the kids? Oh, nah, this not, a happening. not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> hey, where's your working with children? You know, like, right, anyway, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, not exactly. going to happen. So we've walked in this store. We've gone up to the front uh, counter there. And my mum's approached the, the fellow behind the counter and said, you know, my son wants drum lessons. And then he goes, is this your son? And, and she says, yes. And um, he goes, he's too little. Come back in a couple of years. Because he oh. was under the impression that I was only a five, six-year-old 
not that I was an eight-year-old, eight you know, whereas eight-year-old eight is, is eight years old is, is probably a really good time yeah. to get kids, you know, bit of a plug, I'm a guitar teacher. <laughs> and, uh, you know, eight-year-old kids, um, I you know, are my preferred starting age. Sure. You know, f- for the kids to start playing guitar. So, you know, um, my mum doesn't know any better. So, she's like, young man, the fella says you're too young. We've got to come back in a couple of years. And so, yeah. that was the end of my drumming aspiration. Not oh. not personally, but from my parents' point of view, whereas, you know, where they, they sort of thought we can take this somewhere, mm. um, th- that finished. And so, if you want to keep playing, just keep bashing your practice pad for a couple of years. And, yeah. and when you're old enough, when the gentleman says... You're old enough when I was really old enough, just sure. obviously not big enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, then, we, then we can investigate it again. And in the meantime, I have a first cousin who's an amazing guitarist, and uh, he's a guitar teacher ah. as well. So, so, you know, a couple more years go by. Um, so I'm eight, nine, still smacking stuff, still smacking stuff. Um, and then I'd say 10, 11, uh, my... I got a, a proposition made to me, like, mm. we can't play drums, you heard the fella, he said, you know, you're too small, whatever, and I think that was a bit, thank you very much, young man, for saying that he's a bit too small, so yeah. we don't have to get a drum <laughs> kit in the household. Maybe they, they gave him 20 bucks, can you just say this to our son, so that we don't have to keep him? <laughs> There's a bit of premeditation involved, perhaps, you know, and, um, bribe. Uh, and, and so, you know, she said, if you want guitar lessons, mm. Alex will come over once a week and teach you guitar and yeah. I just loved music that that was it you know you're growing up in that era of of the mid to late 80s now and you've just got guitar heroes on every corner yeah that that's every band has a guitar hero and and I think I'm going to go off on a tangent just a little bit here mm. is kind of what we're lacking today is that superhero like every band was like the Avengers, X-Men, something like that. Yeah. Everyone had a superpower. You had yes. this singer, you knew their name. You had this lead guitarist, you knew their name. And this lead guitarist was different to this lead guitarist because Joe Satriani could do this and Steve Vai could do this and Eddie Van Halen could do that. And Slash was the blues guy. And mm. and and all these guys, you know, Vito Brada did this. And, you know, it's just, you know, the world was was superhero Ingwe Malmsteen. You know what do you say? You know, like, and he was the classical guy. You know, so you have all these guys, mm. and so I just loved music in general, and I'm exposed to all this music yeah. with my sisters and their record collection, and we're putting on records, getting cassettes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and um, and then so my sisters are sort of saying, Jace, Jace, um, the girls like the guitarists better. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry about the drums. Uh, learn guitar, learn guitar. And then because we have a family member who's teaching guitar, it was very convenient. Uh, there was a guitar in the household. My grandfather was a rather accomplished clarinet player. Uh, Sorry, what was that? My grandfather was, oh, a, was a rather accomplished clarinet player in yeah. the um, the uh, Greek Macedonian music style. So when he migrated to Australia, yes. he made a living before purchasing a farm. Um, by playing the clarinet at ethnic community events. Uh, yeah, I'd believe it. You know, I I did a gig um, as a the Aussie wedding band, and there was <laughs> the Macedonian wedding band booked at the same show, and so we would play a set, and then the Macedonian band would play a set. And they would go out with the clarinet on the dance floor, yeah. and every guy, if they wanted to lead the dance, they had to 
put in fifty or hundred dollar note yeah. in the clarinet <laughs> underneath the keys. Underneath you know, the keys. They're not even playing a song by the end of the night. They're, they're just blowing air. You they know, they would have made like five, six, seven grand. Easy. On tips. Just on know, the tips. Yeah, on the tips. And there's you know. the Aussie band. We're getting 200 <laughs> bucks each. We're going, oh my God. They're getting what we're getting like every 30 seconds. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Is you this know? the kind of coin your grandfather would well, make in show? I, I think back then it wasn't kind of that like crazy, that crazy. That, you know, I think once we get into sort of the more modern times like this, it's a bit yeah. more of a... Uh, a phallic measuring competition, <laughs> mate, you know. So I'm it's, thinking of learning the clarinet more. and just saying on massos, I yeah. get these gigs. <laughs> <laughs> and as it, but you know, so so he he sort of learned how to play in the old country, and yeah. um, because they had nothing else to do but goat herd and sit under a tree and play the flute all day, and mm. so that's what they did. And then um, he got a clarinet, I think, before the war. You know, so we're talking a long time ago, and yeah. And so he learned how to play the songs on the clarinet, and but he was never really like growing up. It wasn't like, hey, Grandpa's pulling out the clarinet. It, it was once in a blue moon he would pull it out and have a play. So mm. it wasn't like we were exposed to this family, musical family, where we've got this virtuoso grandfather clarinet player. Yeah. It was just, Grandpa can play the clarinet. And, sure. and, and that's what it was. So it wasn't really a motivation for any of us to learn music. Uh, we, we didn't see any real value in it, you yes. know, and um, just because it, it was a novelty kind yes. of thing. Someone knows how to play an instrument very good, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, you know, so again, convenient. My cousin teaches guitar. Mm. Uh, we have a guitar in the household, just a little toy kind of one. And um, and the girls like guitarists better. Yeah. Then, well, so you started learning the, the guitar. Drummer. So I started in grade six. So I was 11 years old, turning 12. Yeah. Yep. And um, started learning guitar and picked it up. Pretty quick. I won't say I was natural at it. Yeah. But um. But I worked hard. I worked hard, and and I enjoyed it. And um, my cousin was a very finger style player. Sure. And uh, so I did the uh, the theory exams and learned all the classical music stuff and mm. and did that. And um. And then you get into high school. Yeah. You know? Right. And um. So so this is real early nineties there. So we're talking ninety one, ninety two. Sure. Yeah. And then um. And then you ninety three. You're in high school. And man. you're in high school. And yeah. it's um. And you're in high school and you play guitar, you yeah. know, and it's, and there's, there's your new motivation. Yeah. You know, be- now it's gone from the eighties, um, hair metal bands, 1993, you're playing guitar and Pearl Jam and Nirvana, are the biggest bands on the planet. So did that actually in, um, like influence you at all while you're playing or? So here's the big twist because every story, every good story needs a twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I grew up with this, um, virtuoso guitar. I couldn't get enough of it, you know? So, so I'm, I'm listening you know, to, to your Bon Jovi's and your Poison and, and, ah. your, and your Steve Vai and your Joe Satriani and, you know, Danger Danger was, you know, one of my favourite bands. Just Andy Timmons as a guitar player for me, when I heard that, mm. he, he just knocked my socks off. I, I didn't know someone could do that. There was just something intrinsic about the way that he played that connected more than any other, uh, other guitarist. And then I got um, the LP of Steve Stevens. Atomic Playboys. So he was in, you know, Steve Stevens from Billy Idol. Mm-hmm. He did a solo album, Steve Stevens' Atomic Playboys. Yes. And on that record, there's Steve Stevens, if nobody out there listening knows, is a super well-accomplished flamenco guitar player. Oh, wow. He's ridiculously good. Cool. And um, there's a song on there called Run Across Desert Sands. And so listeners out there, 
you know, don't pause the podcast. When you finish listening to the podcast, <laughs> go out on there and type in Run Across Desert Stands, Sands Steve Stevens yes. and and hold your fingers in your ears so your brains don't fall out. <laughs> you know, it's um one of those things there. And uh and I heard that and I think I've worn that track out on the vinyl. Like wow. you can't play it anymore. Yeah. I, I put it on so because I was playing a classical guitar and I was learning classical music and all of a sudden I've got this heavy metal guy with big hair in this band yes. that's ridiculously good, but he's doing this classical guitar thing. And I'm going, where is all this coming from? This yeah. is this is ridiculously good. So I was kind of a lot more focused on these virtuoso kind of and guys. Like Rand- Randy Rhodes as well. Is that Randy Rhodes? You know, like yeah. I, I don't think sort of. I liked I liked Ozzy. Mm. Um, I don't think we had so much Ozzy in the house. And and you know when you're 12 years old, you're not really financially able to go and purchase you know music that you like. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I really was only listening to. My sister's collection, sure, what was available, you know, mm, to me mm. there, and then um, whatever was on the radio as well, because so you know you'd put the radio on. Then I found PBS FM and their shows, and that they'd have a different show, and that was a, an eye opener for me. So I could listen on a Saturday morning, and I could hear, I think it was called Bitches Brew, which is Bitches Brew. Yeah, I remember that was show. the show, and it was Jazz Fusion. Yeah, and oh, oh no, sorry, I'm remembering the actual name of, I think a. A jazz record. Oh, a jazz record, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think Miles, it's named after the jazz record. There you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah. And it was a jazz fusion program. Ah. And so now you've got the Steve Morse and you've got Tribal Tech with Scott Henderson and you've got, um, you know, or Dixie Dreg, Steve Morse, and you've got Pat Metheny. And now I'm starting to hear kind of these jazz fusion guys, Whoa. Frank Gambali, yeah, and not only am I listening to the hair metal kind of virtuoso guys, and then and then you hear Iron Maiden, and then all of a sudden there's harmony guitars, and it's like, how do they do this sound? Whoa. And so you know you've got your heavy metal on this side. So Iron Maiden was huge, mm. um, you know, and back then there was a lot of stigma around Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden was the bikey band, right? That, that was like you know it's the devil's music. You don't <laughs> listen to Iron Maiden, uh, you know that's too heavy, you know. Ah. And now when you listen to Iron Maiden, it's it's tame. Sure, yeah, it, compared it, to like can, Cannibal Corpse, yeah, you know, yeah. and all those kind of guys, yeah. Um, so, but that's what it was. So you had your glam metal, but then you had your kind of heavy metal, and, um, and so all of this stuff was really kind of encompassing what you uh, wanted to be able to do on the on the, on the guitar. Like yeah. I, I just saw a light at at the end of a train track in a tunnel, you know, forty thousand light years away. Yes, and that's where I was. Uh, that's where I was going. Beautiful. That's where I was going. And so, did you just play uh, in a band in high school? Ah, so this is where the interesting story about Nirvana and Pearl Jam and everything come in. Thank Beautiful. you very much for the segue. So, you know, like I'm coming to year seven and then you go into year seven and you're playing guitar. And then I had a great music teacher who was a great classical guitarist as well. And um, he, he effectively said, because I was doing the grades and that kind of stuff, he said, you know how to play guitar. Hmm. Don't worry about it now. Just go and play. You've already passed the subject. So I never had to to complete a musical assignment in high school. Huh. You know, so I was very lucky about that. I don't think that would work in 2018. I don't a muso walks into my year seven music class like, oh, you're a muso. Sweet. Don't worry about any of this That's garbage it. everyone else has to do. Yep, you you just, just go play guitar in the corner and I'll just give you all A's. Yep. Wow. That was it. So, I wish I could so, do that. Mr. Yeah, Lee. Mate. Thank you very much, Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee. Yep. And um, so that was awesome. And so then, you know, you're young and obviously, you know, every guitarist in their early years of high school mm. discovers Metallica. Yes. You know, they, they do. It's your introduction to heavy metal, you know, yeah. and and it's Metallica and you hear, you know, Nothing Else Matters and you hear one and you hear all those songs and you go, you know, they're real guitar riff oriented, yes. you know, 
intro things and everyone's learning that. And so that was super cool. It, it was something that we could all play. Then came along, you know, it took a little while for, for the grunge to sort of hit Australia, I guess. So, so 93, 94, 95, yeah. you've got Silverchair comes out and we're the same age as Silverchair. Yeah, we are. So we're all sitting there and we're going, if these young kids can be in a band yeah. and be successful, we yeah. can be in a band and be successful. Let's be silver chair. So we had, you know, all the all the kind of music class nerds. Mm. I'll say that we are. Um, you know, no no offense because, you know, we were a little bit athletic too, but yeah. you know, we we were still the uh the, the music nerds. Um and and we, we jammed. And what do you jam? You jam what's familiar. So obviously you start with your your Metallicas and um yeah. and that kind of stuff. And then you're hearing this new music, you're hearing this Nirvana, you're hearing this Soundguard and this uh, Stone Temple Pilots um kind of stuff and that music made music accessible again. Mm. So I, I kind of think that the eighties music, because of the virtuosity of it, yes. it, it really became an arms race of who could be better. Mm. And if, if you couldn't do the finger tapping, super slide, whammy bar, you know, trick bag kind of guitar, mm. then the next bloke could, and he got the job. And it really just became this unreachable thing for the, the beginner guitarist or the, or the new person entering music. It's, Most definitely. It's a hard thing to understand. Yeah. So, so this arms race that kind of just kept on, you know, evolving and evolving, reached yeah. this height, and then grunge came, which yeah. music needed. Because it yeah. had to be knocked down, and yeah, look, I think um, it was a good and a bad thing. Because, like, as a as a singer, um, I could sing everything, but then as a as a a person that wanted to learn guitar as well, I could pretty much nail all of that kind of stuff as well. Not the solos, because I'm not a you know lead guitarist by any stretch, but I can, I'm a pretty solid rhythm guitarist. But I think like that because I was so obsessed with those bands, yeah. I pretty much all of my songwriting, especially with the pass-outs in the noughties, was pretty much Pearl Jam, you know, inspired. Yeah. But by that stage, Pearl Jam wasn't like the hip thing anymore. So all my songwriting was like <laughs> not cool. You know what I mean? Here's so a date like, stamp. Let's stick yeah, it on your music. You know? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So I'm yep. like, I think it was a good thing because it was, it, it got me into music and it yep. kind of was more accessible, like you said, because the virtuosity kind of stuff from the eighties, definitely. Yeah. Not for someone who is more inclined to just kind of pick up a guitar every once in a no, while. No. You need to be picking it up fucking every day. That you, you got to work for that kind yeah. of stuff, you know, yeah. and unless you were putting in your couple hours a day mm. practicing, it was something you wanted to do. Mm. You're not doing it for, for, and I'm not going to say a novice or a hobbyist, but, but just for the regular, you know, I want to play guitar sufficiently and, and yeah. but be good at guitar and not have to have a practice regiment. That mm. I have to be strict by and yeah, disciplined to, to do and just have fun. Yeah. Play, you know, we play music. We don't work music, you know. So exactly, it's um and to play music and have fun. That music was amazing, most definitely. You know, so so we're in bands and, and we're we're playing all these songs. They're the radio songs. They're, that's what they are. You know, yeah, you're man. learning everything that's on the radio and you're playing it all. And then I think what was the band called? Oh, no, we didn't have names. It was just jam band. You just know, like just in the young the guys kids from the music, music department. Yeah, 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 doing that kind of stuff. And then, um, so we'd kind of try and put it together and we, we could play the songs, you know, we could play the songs from start to finish, nice. you know, and it was cool. And, and you it played was fun. guitar at this point. Yeah. So I played guitar, you know, ah. and, um, so what had happened, uh, I, I was kind of bored because in my own time I was learning the virtuoso stuff behind ah, the scenes okay. and then we're playing these songs and, you know, I'm playing these songs and everyone's playing these songs and, and, you know, I just kind of thought 
I want to put my own twist on it, so I'd start to incorporate some of the finger tapping, some of the uh, whammy bar stunts, yeah. you know, those kind of pick scrapes and that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, everyone would be like, Jace, you're out of the band. Oh. Oh, what do you mean you're out of the band? And they're like, you're showing off. Ah. And, you know, and, and again, we talk about phallic measuring competitions. We're, we're, we're 14, 15 year old kids. Everybody's measuring everything, mate. You're seeing how high you can shoot it. You're seeing how far you can spit it. You're, you're doing that. Yeah, man. And, you know, I'm, I'm a kid and I'm seeing how fast I can play it. And Dude, I can empathize with that because I'm actually from the other side of the fence. Because when I started my, my band, the, the Pass Outs, um, I, I was pretty much just pulling in musicians around me. I was working at a music store and the guitar teacher was like, oh, I was talking to him, oh, do you want to kind of join my band, blah, 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 blah. And I knew that he's actually a, a, a past guest on the podcast, Ben Quirk, very much virtuoso kind of guitar playing. And I actually said to him, I said, dude, can you not play? that finger tapping kind of down speech a yeah. stuff because the songs I'm writing aren't kind of in that ilk and he was yeah. like yeah Dave I can play anything I can do that <laughs> and obviously he did and then it kind of slowly oh, started sneaks sneak, back sneaking in, in. Yep. And, and look I, I mean dude I don't take anything away from what he's able to do on the instrument he's one of the best in Australia like hands down but at the time I was very much like you know oh, I had an idea of what the band oh, what I wanted the band to be and the solos I was I was more interested in hearing like a Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix style, you know, um, Jimmy Page rather, um, you know, or Mike McCready from Pearl Jam kind yeah. of like solo. So that's interesting to hear the other side of the of the fence there, yeah, brother. Yeah, I think as a fifteen year old kid, musicality isn't really high on your priority list of um, yeah how, how you're thinking the song should be performed. I think it's yeah, really yeah. it's like who's looking at me because I'm doing something fancy, you know? Exactly. And, yeah. And, that, and that, I went to school with dudes like that, dude. That's it. And you know, I was one of those kids, and yeah, that's um, cool. and I kept on getting kicked out of the bands, and um, so <laughs> so I've kind of got a, a bit of a um, a uh, venomous taste towards the uh, the grunge movement not yeah. not because you know I, I didn't like it but I just sort of saw the potential in other stuff yeah and didn't understand why everybody else didn't like Steve I I, I didn't yes. get it you know and 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 so that that was kind of my my direction mm. I guess you know I was born five years too late you know yeah, like that's it's the same kind of battle I have with like just meeting people and like I don't understand why everyone doesn't like the wrestling I love the wrestling <laughs> No one else likes it. This sucks. You know? That's, how can you not like this? You know, and, and yes, it's, you yes, know, it, how can you not like yeah, this? Yeah, it's horses for courses, isn't Dude, it? You know, and it's, and it's living in Australia, bro. It, oh, living in Australia. Totally. There's not as many people into things. No, no. You know, when we talk about population per capita, oh. you know, we're this, this sparse ridiculously small country you know <laughs> that's spread out over this landmass yeah. that's ridiculous so to find people interested in the same thing you are they are they do exist but they're two hours away that's or they're right. an hour away it's hard to connect with those <laughs> it characters it definitely is yeah so I, I think at this time now mm. computers are starting to happen yeah man recording on computers is starting to happen I've got I've got Windows 95 <laughs> I've, got, I've got Windows 3.1 now I've got Windows 95 and it's got recorder on there that. and I'm like I I've got a I've got a microphone input on the back of my computer and I've hey, got an electric guitar. Look at you. And and now I can learn how to like make wave files, you know, and yes. the days before MP3 kids. And um and so I remember recording like Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix. Nice. And I was so proud because I could play the thing from start to finish. Yes. And now I've got a copy of it. Now I can press play 
And listen to yourself. And it's not just on a cassette where all the background noise, where pots and pans are happening from from the cooking in the background, and yeah. someone's yelling at someone because they've got three older sisters, and you know, three <laughs> girls can't get along, and um, all that kind of stuff. You know, th- this was mine. It was clean. It sounded like a recording. And so, yeah. um, I found a multi-track recorder. Mm. My, again, mind's blown. You know, like, this is early days like of- Like a Tascam or something? Um, I had a Fostex 4-track Fostex. On, the, uh, <laughs> nice. on, on the cassette one there. But I found yeah. a multi-track recorder on the computer. Oh, wow. Yeah, real early days. And, and I could do multi-tracks. Yeah. And now my mind's blown because now I can make backing tracks. Dude. You know, I could do it on. I did it before. I used to do it. Um, yes. I used to buy guitar magazines so I could get the backing track once a month, and I'd play them till I died. Oh wow! You know, and um, yeah. I've still got the collection of CDs. I don't know how many, it's countless. Dude. Just so I could get a blues backing track once a month and have something new to jam to along jam with. To jam along to. Yeah. Because now you just YouTube blues jam in E minor, and you could just oh, find a million whatever people you want. Doing it, you know, yeah, and yeah. it's um. And uh, so, yeah, but back then it, it was hard to come by. So, you'd, yeah, man. you'd pay $18 per month and you'd buy your, um, your your UK guitar magazine or your US guitar magazine with the CD on it and, yeah. and you'd jam along. And um, But now I was making my own backing tracks for, of things I wanted to hear. Yeah. And, um, and then that sort of blew my mind. So, now I kind of really don't need a band anymore because sure. I'm getting my fulfillment of, of playing the music I like. Yes. You know, because I, I'm I'm really not in it at the moment for for the camaraderie. I'm in it for the uh, the phallic measuring. Sure, and, um, <laughs> and just like learning all the tricks you can, yeah, and, and, and learning as many songs as can. Yeah, I'm assuming and, and as well. Yeah, pushing those boundaries, and mm. um, and then so I started sort of making backing tracks and jamming along on there. And um, so when did you make the transition to bass? So that that was kind of the reason why I kind of moved to bass because I'm I'm now I'm starting to become a bit of a songwriter. Ah. And I'm, I, I've got the, the MIDI drums happening. I've yes. got the guitar happening. And I'm like, I need a bass player. Mm. And and um, how am I going to do this? Well, if I play the bass on the tracks that I can... I, I was starting to hear songs in my head. Yes. You know, I, I'm, I'm getting ideas. I'm I'm trying to put them down. Mm. And, um, and I'm hearing the bass doing something different to the guitar. I'm starting to understand that music is made up of parts. Wow. You know, and, and that you know, all of these parts. And I, th- I think maybe the, um, the theory, the music theory and the classical training helped that. Most definitely. You know, um, yeah. not that you really delve too much into that, but it, no. it, it really sort of started to go there. Then I, I guess I was 18 and we were going out every night of the week. <laughs> you turn 18 in year 12, I just right off the last six months of high school. Like wow. that's it, you know, forget yeah, about it. Like yeah, yeah. Um, turned 18, got my license on my 18th birthday Nine o'clock in the morning. That's it. I'm independent. I'm free. You know, like I'm oh. driving. I'm doing whatever. And so we'd go out every night of the week. But on a, on a um, what was it? It was a Saturday night. We'd go to the Sane Bar in Turak Road. And uh, if you remember CDB, the band boy band, Melbourne boy band. I remember CDB. You know, let's groove tonight in yes. September. You know, all that kind of stuff. So those fellas, um, one of them had left the band. Hmm. And um, so he was Andrew De Silva, and he was on Australia's Got Talent a few years ago and won it um, there. So he was in CDB, but he left that, and he had a funk rock band playing at uh, Sane Bar, which was owned by Sanity Music Store. So it was kind of a subdivision huh. of there. It was this really funky lounge. You'd go downstairs, yeah, right. have the band, and he had this this funk rock band that were playing Prince songs. They were yeah. playing Living Colour songs. Oh, nice. They, they were just, they were hitting it all up. And what they, was the band called? They, they was Andrew De Silva and the Midnight Review. 
Right. So the Midnight Review, the band, were Vanessa Amorossi's band. Ah. You know? And so um, these guys, and these guys were on fire. Yeah. On fire. They had a, I, can, I can still remember all the guys in the band. We'd go see them at Sane Bar. We'd go see them at Mercury Lounge at Crown Casino. If they yes. played, we went and saw this band. Wow. They were just, they were top of the game. And I'd, I'd watch the guitarist, and I'd be like, mate, this guy's on fire. He's unbelievable. Who's the guitarist? Uh, Paul, No. Uh, Andre Dumas. Andre Dumas. So I still remember the names. Andre, shout out. Hey, shout brother. out. So it was Paul Chickenelli on keyboards. Yeah. It was um, Rod Bustos on bass. Rod Bustos. Yeah. And then uh, Andre Dumas on guitar. Far out. And um, and then, so me being a bit sneaky. Yes. I uh, would sneak in a um, tape recorder. Oh, yeah, really? <laughs> and I'd bootleg their shows. Right. Like, I love this music so much. It was ridiculous, you know? Yeah. So, so I'd bootleg their shows. I'd go home and I'd learn their songs, no you know? Way. And um And I, I've probably still got the tape somewhere floating around. So, yeah. you know, it, it was just, for, for me, it, it had everything, you know? Mm. Living, like, I'm a big Living Colour fan. So, like, it, they were playing Living Colour and they were nailing it. And I'm like, oh, mate, these guys are awesome, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we're sitting there and we're watching the guitarist and I'm watching him and, and he's shredding it out. And they're doing these kind of prog fusion funk rock, and it's like everything culminating from my childhood is is adding up to this part, you know. And it's it's like yeah, they're, they're nailing it all. And then slowly, slowly, my attention would turn to the bass player, ah. and then this dude was just killing it. And I'm like, going, I've never seen a dude make bass look so cool. Right. And he was smashing it. And um, I'm like, I'm going to play bass. Far out. And that was it. And I thought, well, at the same time, I need a bass to um to uh, do my songwriting kind of yes. stuff. This guy's just one cool MF. So like, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to buy a bass. So I bought a bass and I bought a five string bass because he played a five string bass. Far out. And then I, I went home and I learned all their songs and um, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then I just really started working on bass. Then, as per probably every bass player you've had on this podcast, um, I, I was never asked to be in a band because guitarists are a dime a dozen. Right. You know, so at this point now, I'm probably 20 years old. You know, it's been yeah. a couple of years. I've been working on it. I've been doing my own thing. And now all of a sudden, it's like, Jace plays bass. It's like, you play bass, Jace. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, do you want to join my band? And I'm like, no one's asked me to join a band since high school. And then I kept on getting kicked out of them. Like, for me, this was this validation yeah. of like, wow, I'm getting asked to join a band. So I joined every band. Right. That was, <laughs> <laughs> mate, if there was a band in Werribee, Hopper's Crossing area, I'm, I was in it. Yeah, you know, that right. was it. And um, Covers, originals, everything. You name it. If I could yeah. play, I was playing. And wow. um, and I was just playing bass. I, I picked what it up pretty What were you doing out during, during the day, like when you left school? Did you get a job or were you studying? I went to university. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. were you studying? Um, robotic and mechatronic engineering. Whoa. <laughs> and did you use that after you finished the qualification? I, I didn't finish the qualification. No. I was uh, politely asked to leave by the uh, chancellor for the first one and um, because you you were too busy playing music oh no I was a bit of a I I had my idea of what university should have been sure and what they were offering was not what I expected it to be right so I really liked the practical subjects because again I came from this kind of working class hands on kind of thing but I didn't like the theory okay theory and then and then I I thought well maybe i'll transfer out of this one i'll go do electronic engineering because i really liked electronics Mm. i went and did that and then um i I went up to my lecturer and i said um when are we going to learn about vacuum tubes (laughs) because i wanted to be an amp designer 
Oh, you know, like right. I, I thought, I'm going to learn about vacuum tubes. I've got an old 60s amp at home, and and I love them, and I'd, I'd love pulling them out and putting them back in and trying different combinations and, and that kind of stuff. And and the lecturer looked at me and laughed. He goes, mate, no one uses vacuum tubes. And I'm going, well, well why am I even here? Ah. Because that's the reason why I'm here. I want to design guitar amps. You know, I want to be. I want to make the next Mesa Boogie. That's sure. my thing. And and so like again, you know, uni just wasn't for me. And so right. Um, in that time, I'd started teaching guitar. Yes. And so I'd, I'd become a guitar teacher at sort of 21. Yes. And um, just at home or from a, for a music school. At, at a music school. So my cousin, who was my guitar teacher, yes. was working at a music school, and he wanted. Back then, in the uh, early 2000s, we couldn't work enough days of the week. Mm. We had good, Because, you know, that time now, we've, we've moved out of the grunge. Yes. And we've moved into the pop punk. So we've got the yeah. Green Days, we've got the Blink-182s, we've got the, the Sum 41s, we've got the Avril Lavigne's, we've got the... Again, it's still guitar music. Yes. You know, and it's real guitar-oriented. And then... Um, so th- there was kids just wanting to play guitar. They've, they've got their 90s. 90s is still going at this point. So... Mm. We've got every kid wanting to learn Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and they want to learn Green Day, and they want to learn Blink-182. Yeah. And we couldn't work enough days of the week. So there was an excess of students, so I kind of walked in wow. and, and started teaching there. And then... Um, was this a, a, a music school in Werribee? In, in Hoppers Crossing. In there, Hoppers Crossing, you know? yeah, yeah. And then um, I was there for 15 years. Wow. You know? and, um, and then... Every day? No, no. So it was sort of three, four days. Or in the beginning, it was one day, and then it turned into two days, and it turned into three days. But at night, yeah? At, after hours, yeah. So yeah, from yeah. 3 p.m. And we'd be there from probably start at 2.30 in the afternoon, and we'd finish at 9.30, 10 o'clock. Oh, so that was your full-time gig? That, that was a full-time job, Whoa. you know, in, in itself. And then or you know, and then you'd try and finish early. You'd try and finish 8 o'clock at one day, and then you'd go to rehearsal. Yes. And then you'd go and play or, or something like that. So, sure, yeah. You know, and you'd be going to uni at, and at the same time and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was... Mm. Um, that that was my job. Wow. There, so I was, um, and I only finished because the the boss moved to Malta, you know, and, and the business yeah. closed, you know. So that that was really. I'm still a guitar teacher today. I, I do house calls and drive around and you drive to other people's houses to teach them to guitar. teach them. Yeah, they don't come to you. I do a couple of days a week at a music school. Yes, and then the other days of the week, I, I do mobile guitar teaching. I didn't know, you know that was still a thing where people actually drove to other people's houses to. <laughs> do, you, do you get <laughs> our Alexa? Uh, call the guitar teacher. You know, like in our in our day of com- modern conveniences, yeah, you know, it, yeah. it really has become that. Uh, you know, again, a convenience thing. You know, it's um far out, man. So it's it's you know still going, but it's yeah, it's it's not the world that it was. No, n- anymore. The last most of your students ten years has been a massive decline. Right. Yeah. So, so most of your students now in twenty nineteen um would be from the music school. You don't have as many that you drive to. Mm, well, it's 50-50. Oh, it's 50-50? Yeah, yeah. Far out, yep. man. So, That's you know, full on. It's enough to fill up a day either yeah, way. Yeah. You know, so it's um, it's all there. Crazy. Um, Yeah, so we're watching this band. I, I saw the bass player. I thought he was cool. Yeah. I'm getting asked to be in bands. Here we go. I'm a bass player. That's it. I'm a bass player. Yeah. That's it. I, I joined a Macedonian folk band you know, like, <laughs> because you need the money. And the yeah. money was fantastic. You no know, and, and that's what it was. And it, it sort of got me started and then yeah. had a friend's band, Oh, uh, a cousin of mine. Uh, his best mate was a singer, and they're like, we need a bass player. So I, I went over to his place. He showed me the material. I thought, that's cool. They were all a bit older, probably you know, 15, 20 years older. Sure. But I thought it was super cool, and yeah. they're experienced musicians. I learned. Uh, you you can't put a value on, on what I learned from these fellas. Yeah. You know, and, um, and we were in that band. I was in that band for 10 years. Wow. You know, I, I don't think there's really been a short 
kind of stint of a, of a committed band. Um, was that the Macedonian band? No, no, this was another one. This one was called, it was Hacksaw. Yes. Was what it started, and then we called ourselves Ash Wednesday. Yes. And then it eventually evolved into the Love Dogs. And were these originals or covers? All originals. All originals. Yeah, we supported in 2003... Jimmy Barnes had a project with Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake from Ozzy Osbourne, uh-huh. the bass player and the drummer, and um, Steve Morse from Deep Purple and John Jeez. Airy, the keyboardist from Deep Purple, after John Lord retired. So they had a, a project band called Living Loud, and we supported them at Metro. Wow. Um, which turned into the palace, but for all of us out there that remember Metro, um, you know, Metro, and, and so that was Metro... Um, you know, th- there was potential of things there. You know, that that, that was a great band. We played yeah. a lot of shows. Yeah. Uh, I joined a cover band with me mates and with my cousin whose drums I sat on. You know, so it's sort of come full circle. Full so circle, I played bass yeah. um, in, in that cover band. And that cover band went for, for years and years. You know, started probably when we were 21 and, and finished, you know, when we were 27, 28. You know, nice. we were called Temporary Insanity. We did yeah. the whole... Irish pub circuit residency oh, thing. I remember the Irish you pubs, know? man. And um, all that kind of stuff, like yeah. O'Finnegan's, O'Flanagan's, I don't remember what yeah, it was called. Yeah, I did one, Pug Mahone's, <laughs> Pug Mahone's Hardware Lane in the city. Oh, you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, the whole Bridie O'Reilly's and the uh, yeah. and the Elephant and Wheelbarrows and that kind of stuff. And um, we did that for years as well. And mm. and um, and then the singer from that band ended up going on Idol oh, really? in 2005, and he came fifth. No shit. Yeah, and wow. um, so the year that Jessica Malboy came second. Uh-huh. And then um, so after that's when the sort of the band finished, oh, 2005, 2006. So we started 2001. So it was a good couple of years in there. Yeah. And um, and then he he went on Idol. And then after Idol, he and I did an acoustic duo together for, for years and years and years as well. So we nice. went, every, we went to Sydney, did gala events for cricket cancer fundraisers. And Far we out. do like Crown Casino Palladium or the the ballroom there and oh yeah, yeah you know yeah. where they do the Brownlow medal and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was just there the other night. I can't remember the name of it though. Palladium. Um, I think it used to be called the Palladium, but yeah. now it's called something else. Okay. Uh, Palms. Palm. No, so Palm. The other, the function room. Palms is where they do the big shows. Ah. Show showrooms. Oh, yeah. so maybe it is still the Palladium there. Yeah, the Palladium. It's where they sit down dinners. Television, yeah, Brownlow kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we played there, and, and then we'd, we'd just, you know, every weekend do two or three shows and drive all around the state and Far out. and do acoustic stuff. And, and um, So was he using the um, success that he had from Idol to book these shows? Did he get, like, an agent and say, hey, look, I want to go now, milk this, and, and uh, get a bunch of shows? Yeah, the agent sort of approached him after the show. So yes. after his sort of contract with the show had finished, yes, um, he, he was sort of a free agent after that. It was mm. kind of a three-month, six-month cooling down period because that's when they use the winners you know you're not allowed to sort of really you know because you might like look at jessica malboy mm. she's fantastic mm. at the end of the day she can sing she got a good manager mm. she's a household name mm. who remembers damien leith he won it that year yeah no no one no one but jessica yeah. here she is she's on eurovision she's on sesame street she's on you know everything whatever she does she got a good manager yeah. You know, they put her in the right places and the, and they did that. So um, there's kind of this, this lead way after the show where they let the winners have the limelight. They're going to be on all the interviews and that kind of stuff. And then after mm. that all finishes, then you're you're free to do whatever. And, and you still, you know, ride that wave. Yeah. And um, afterwards, and so, yeah, we rode that wave for a while. And um, that happened there. What was the his s- name, did you say? Ricky Musket. Ricky Musket. Yeah, so hey. that was that. And so we did that. And then um, at the same time... 
as it kind of had, I had, so we had the acoustic duo. Yes. Uh, we had the Love Dogs happening. Yes. The cover band had finished at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is around 2009 at this point. Yeah. And then um, I had a sort of 2004, I joined a, a progressive thrash metal band. Whoa. You know, so like uh, a cousin... Oh, another family friend of a cousin of a blah blah because <laughs> ethnic kids ethnic you know like we've, we've got a lot of uh you know yeah. third eight nineteenth cousins you know sure, and so yeah, someone yeah. knows someone who knows someone and said we've got these guys that like steve Vai and that kind of stuff they're ah. looking for a bass player they want to start a band and i'm like mate sign me up where do i go so nice. i drove to this house in sunbury sat down with them just started growing my hair Yes. You know, it was up to my shoulders. Yes. <laughs> I was looking like I walked straight out of 1994. and um, Yeah, I, was, I checked out your book face today <laughs> and I saw a bunch of shots of you with longer hair. And I'm like, yeah. Jase had long hair at one point. You looked very different with long hair. It was a different world back yeah, then, man. you know. And um, and yeah, so we joined that band and that, that band went from probably 2003 to 2012. So a pretty big stint. Yeah, we we did a good did one on that one. Did you mention the name? Sorry. So that's Unknown Addiction. Unknown Addiction. Yeah, right, so we right. made did an you, album. It's did online. Tourists and stuff. Not really. It was just the local metal scene yeah, kind of okay, stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so we did that. Um, did all all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and then uh, that band finished. Joined the Warbirds. Around 2012, 2013, around that Maybe time. Maybe a bit earlier. A bit so, like, earlier. there's a lot of overlapping happened here. Yeah. So, so really, the overlapping happened because I with the band the Love Dogs. Uh, the the first guitarist. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the venue Musicland. Yeah, yeah, Musicland. Yes. So Musicland. So so Musicland. Uh, he he was the guitarist was the owner of Musicland. Right. And so so we were these of Love young, Dogs of the Love Dogs. Yep. Yeah. So when we were called Ash Wednesday, and so we were involved in building Musicland. That was that was us. No shit. Yeah. So so it was it was the owner Mick and his son George and the drummer Ash and myself and and. We turned it from an empty warehouse and put the studio in and put the stage in, put all the stuff on the roof and the lights and yeah. and all that kind of stuff because we had this space and we wanted this space. So every night of the week, I'd finish teaching, drive down, work on Musicland, you know, and that was it. You know, and that's from say like two thousand and three yeah, to two thousand and seven yeah. is when I sort of finished up there. And it was like um, yeah, one of the one of the first pass out gigs was at Musicland around yeah. two thousand and five. I would have been the sound guy. There you know, you go, mate. so you know. Like, there you go. So, so because you're in there and you've got so much foot traffic of bands coming and going. Yep. And and you you're starting to be friends with everyone and and know what's happening. Um, you know, word gets out and you just join bands. Yeah. Until you find what sticks. Yeah. You know, and um, it it kind of worked like that, and and that was pretty great. Mm. And then um, Anth from Warbirds was friends with the guys that I was with in Unknown Addiction. Right. You know, so so that's how we sort of met. And then um, and then I went and saw Rock of Ages, the oh, musical. Yeah. You know, and I'm going, great. They're playing all the awesome songs, songs I grew up with. They're playing Steve Vai. They're playing yeah. Def Leppard. They're playing all this. And I go and I'm sitting at this musical. I'm pretty hyped for it. You know, it's got good reviews. And I, I was so disappointed. Yeah, right. You know, it, it just, you know, how do you take that 80s glam... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, there's an X factor there that yeah. there was magic that happened back then. Yes, and and those guys that were the singers that were the guitarists, they had those X factors. Yeah, you know, and then now you've got this kind of pale facsimile mm-hmm. of of a reproduction of this song in this musical. Yeah, and and I was so close to getting up and walking out. Like, right. no offense to you guys, but 
sorry, the production didn't really do justice to what you grew up with. Yeah, not not what I had in my head. Sure, not, my expectations must have been just too high. Yeah, and I was super disappointed, and I thought mm. well, I'm going to be in a rock band now. You know, like that's it. And um, and so Warbirds came along, joined yeah. a rock band. You know, because yeah. as as motivation for, um. And their stuff is exactly what you would have been craving at that point because very virtuoso kind of driven kind of 80s influenced music. Yeah, clever, musically clever. Yeah, in yeah. 2012, you know, and it's um, it can still be modern but can still have those touches yeah. of that classic kind of ideas and um, and that kind of stuff. And then uh, um, I'm still craving the metal. I'm still craving the metal. So the heavy metal band's finished. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm craving the metal. You know, it's it's just ingrained in me. I grew up with it. The rock yeah. is, is great, but I want the metal. Sure. You know, kind of thing. And then um, and then Divine Ascension there, uh, I'd been friends with them since the inception of that band. Right. In, um, the, I think they were 2004 when they started. Whoa, that, you know, that long ago. So yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. Their first release was in, in 2007. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, they sort of started then and, uh, I'm friends with the guitarist, you know, and I've been friends with him since day one. Sure. You know, and, um, is this like a music land connection? No, this is a hoppers crossing connection. Oh, whoa, you know, so, so he used to live yeah, up the road and, wow. and I used to play guitar in the garage and he'd be walking home from school cause he's younger than I am. And I've finished school. So I'm jamming in the garage and he'd come up with his mates and, and we'd talk in the in the shed, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. that kind of stuff. So we were just mates. That's awesome. Forever, man. you know, like just yeah. community kind of thing. And um, they kept on losing bass players, but I was always in a band. So they never right. asked me. And then it kind of uh, got to the point where it was like, we've lost a bass player. My metal band's finished. I'm looking for a metal project. Yes. Here we go. Here we uh, go. And then the rest is sort of history. History, yeah. yeah. So, you, and there was a time where you played in both bands, Warbirds yeah. and Divine Ascension, but yeah. it just got too much. It's... <laughs> oh, it, it it's too much. It, it's when you want to really um, invest, yeah, what you can into something. Yeah, um, it, it really is hard, and and you do feel like you're spreading yourself thin. You know. Well, look, man, I can empathise because, like, like what happened with the passouts. I was with those guys for ten years, and I booked the shows, I made the posters, wrote the tunes, like everything. Like I was Bon Jovi, right? Yep. I, I was. I wore all the hats, all of the hats. Other than playing bass and the drums, yep. everything was up to Sis Dog, right? And when um, I joined this band where I'm like, okay, there's these other guys in the band that are invested in, in doing not so that I wouldn't have to do everything. Because of my personality, though, I still did a lot <laughs> for that band. And look, and that's fine because that's just what I'm like, you know, and it's still in the rock area, so I was enjoying myself. But. Um, uh, it, it was like I tried to keep both bands going well the past that's going for about six months and I'd still rehearse and book shows and everything especially because we'd only released our album in 2014 and now I joined a band like at the end of 2015 so it was a bit about you know a year you know where the album was still kind of in the ether I wanted to keep it going but like you said, I was spreading myself too thin, and it's I was tough. Like, I wanted, I didn't want to break up the band because, and I'm glad I didn't because I still got to do the Pearl Jam stuff with them. That's it. And you know, if I ever want to kind of, you know, call, I know, I know, because I've had the guys on the show. If I want to call them up, and say, "Hey guys, you want to do a show?" I'm sure I know they would say, "Yeah, Dave, let's do it." You That's know, for, it. That's for a it. laugh of fun or whatever. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so going back to what you were talking about, you're spreading yourself a bit thin. You're like, you know what? I don't want to be. Um, yeah, you, you don't want to put those guys out, basically. Well, that's it. You know, like if if you can't commit to that 
150%. Yeah. You know, then then it's not fair on, on both sides, you know. Yeah, you're it's, doing yourself a disjustice and, and you're doing, you, and you're doing yeah. that. And it, but sort of the opportunities with Divine Ascension started sorry. coming in <laughs> thick and fast yes. at this point too. So uh, it was financially as well, you know, mm. because there was a lot of financial kind of things that were coming up as well. And what, got, what, what do you mean? With Divine Ascension, there was an album that was getting released. Okay. And then there was supports and there was an Australian tour and then there was an international tour and, you yeah. know, and, and you've only got so much money. At mm. this point, the teaching's dropping off, you know, all these things are happening and it's, um, yeah, you can, only, you can only invest. So you're saying you're investing in that band, like, to get yourself to the shows and that? Yeah, well, you know, how much it costs to make an album. Yes. You know, like it, that costs money. You know, we, we're, we're not backed by a label that says, all right, guys, here's three months in a studio and we're paying for it all. No. You yeah, know, it's yeah. not, it, it's our investments, you know, and it's, um, yeah. you know, whether you make a film clip, that's your investment. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, so, so not only was it emotionally kind of hard to spread yourself thin, but financially as well. So, mm. there were, and, you know, time, all, all these kind of factors sort of add up, you know, so it's, um, yeah. How it worked, and um, so you move on from those guys, and then you you pull full throttle with um, Divine Ascension, yeah, and you've been with those guys ever since, yes. Um, and um, well, yeah, I do a little bit of research um, on the on the artist that that um, I'm interviewing, and today I did bring up the old YouTube machine. <laughs> there you go, and um, I was very impressed. Usually, it's like you know, you, you click on the thing and. Um, it's like, you know, five videos or two videos. You guys have like 55 videos, <laughs> right? I'm like, wow, these guys are full on. This is great. I'm scrolling down, scrolling down. I find a video clip and it's for uh, Liberator. Yep. So that was um, a single from the last album. Yes, yes. And um, uh, I'm watching this clip and it starts and the music is very like what you've uh, uh um, described, you know, very metal, uh, female fronted. So it's kind of like a... Um, you know, uh, what's what's is it? Evan Evan Moore or what's Evanescence? That? Evanescence. There, so I'm yep. kind of getting that Evanescence kind of vibe from it. And then I'm looking at the um, the actress who's playing the you know the 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 uh, the wife, let's say, in mm-hmm. the, the storyline part of it. And I'm like, I know this person's face. That's <laughs> Julia in Solar. She's from St. Monica's College. She's a past student of mine. Well, there you go. So, and, and then I, I had a look on Instagram. I'm sure enough, I was right. Shout out to Charlotte. Yeah. So, so it's, what, Charlotte is, is her it? name? Or Julia? No, Julia. No, Charlotte. No. Well, I know her as Julia. Julia. Maybe. Well, I don't know. I could be getting confused. I'm terrible. Well, that w- that's definitely the... I'm um, hopefully maybe they just look like twins because I, I tell you man she's a dead ringer for <laughs> there this, you go. this um, student well, any I listeners never out there Julia, but, yep. but she's not a singer she was the, the actress who the played. actress yep. yeah, yeah, yeah so we hired her from Star Now you okay. know, there, was, there was audition process for, for the fellas and you know the lady in the, in the clip and, yeah 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 you know, again that was done all by us yes. totally so we didn't use a, a film crew or anything That that's us behind the camera taking those shots so and, whose camera was it uh, you know it's um Carl's best mate, so Carl the guitarist. Yes. His best mate Michael is um, you know, a bit of a, a filmmaker himself, just just hobbyist. Yeah, yeah. And he's got some really nice gear. And oh, so nice. so we just helped out, but we storyboarded it, we we did it all, we, yeah, we worked man. out all the shots and um yeah. if we weren't in front of the in front of the camera on the screen, we yeah. were behind the camera taking the shots. Yeah, you nice. know, and then editing and everything afterwards, that's that's all us. All in house. Yeah. And so the um the 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 story um not to take anything away for our listeners if you haven't checked it out but the story um that's overlapping the live uh, music that's playing um is kind of like a domestic violence kind of theme yeah and my question was um 
Is the song about that as well? Or was that more of an, uh, um, a choice for like the dramatic effect for the film clip? Well, the song is Liberator. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of hard, but it's about liberation. Mm-hmm. And so that's about having the strength within yourself to do what you think you can't do. Right. To liberate yourself. Break free from Break a free bad from, situation. You know, and that's it. And so, so here, obviously, she's in a, um, in a, in a you know, domestic violent uh, you know, kind of relationship, a yes. violent relationship. And, yeah. you know, as with many uh, ladies in, in that kind of situation, they're afraid to leave, mm-hmm. you know, by fear. And then here at the end of the, of the film clip, spoilers, if no one wants to listen, just plug your, your fingers <laughs> in your ear hole now, thanks. Um, you know, she, she finds the strength and she yeah, liberates yeah. herself. And, yeah. and and really that's the, the, that's the story empowering behind message behind the nice, song. Nice, nice. And so it, it does sort of go with the parallels of, of the lyrics and that kind of stuff oh, in the song. Oh, that's good, yeah. yeah. It's always good when, like, because sometimes you watch a film clip and you're like, this has got nothing to do with the song. Why have they, <laughs> why have they got someone, you know, like if you look at like, um, especially the 90s uh, film clips, you know, um, like we were talking about Nirvana before, like Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> There's someone like, you know, in a ballet costume or something. Like, why yeah. is there? What? Maybe it's got something to do with it. There was like, a director involved, you know, he had well, a vision, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, maybe it's a it's a take on, you know, the, uh, um, um, the teenage, you know, the different aspects of teenagehood and maybe people are into ballet and maybe people are into this or whatever because i'm pretty sure like in the, i haven't seen that clip in so long but maybe there's some like <laughs> nerds in it and stuff yeah i, I think i think so, it's representing yeah. different demographic That's groups right, and it's got like the cheerleaders, cheerleaders. and shit you yeah got that the jocks, makes sense you got now. the nerds you got yeah, the that was probably a bad example <laughs> i guess but, they did make you know but if, it, if it's not terribly obvious obviously there's some kind of artistic yeah, kind of exactly idea behind yeah, it and so, so um to bring it back home, it, it was. It's nice to see that. Yeah, there was some thought behind that. It's got to do with the lyrics and the song and everything. So that's cool. The other, um, the other little video that I saw on your YouTube, which um, I really enjoyed as a wrestling fan, yeah. was there's there's a RKO out of nowhere clip <laughs> on there, and you should check it out, listeners, because it's great. A few years ago, there was a, uh, you know, a bit of a, a a viral video kind of thing where. Um, Randy Orton would come out of nowhere and deliver the RKO. And whoever's done this for your YouTube channel did such a good job. They've got Randy up there with yeah. the gif and he's... Is that the guitarist who's so getting RKO'd? Where he, that's the guitarist getting RKO'd and that's, yes. that's the guitarist who did the editing for that too, you know? So, you know, again, like... we. We're, not that we want to be this kind of band that jumps on these social media kind of fads that happen, you know, ice bucket challenge, blah blah, you yeah, know, yeah, cinema challenge, still, whatever. It, it, it was a fun thing, and, and we were we were filming a behind the scenes of the tour. Okay, and um, and we were there while we were filming that, and and whilst I was getting interviewed for for another video there, mm. this was a bit of an outtake where the guitarist thought he'd be a bit funny, he'd climb up the fence and and have a look over the bushes, ah, and and sort of be a bit you know, cheeky in the background. Sure, and, sure. And the, the bush gave way and he fell oh, legitimately. 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 So it wasn't a setup. He legitimately fell through the bush. Fell through the bush. And then you're you know? like, oh, we could do a Randy. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, this, this is kind of blooper real kind of thing that we have here. What are we going to do That's with great. it? And we can do a, you know, a Randy Orton kind of thing there. Nice. So. We well, talking about touring, um, have you got any stories from um, those tours that you'd like to share? Oh, mate, I'll tell you what. I, I, I brought a bit of a... um. A teaser refresher for myself. I've got yeah. my, my tour card here. Yes. Um, the backstage pass. The backstage pass that got me all the way through Europe. So the first gig here is in... Um, so this was 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, we just released the Liberator album. Yes. And um, and then we got a supporting tour with Stradivarius. Wow. So so for, 
for me, uh, Stradivarius was a big influence. When I was 18 and I was driving to university and I heard their Destiny album and, yeah. and that, that was it. I had my windows up and I was singing at the top of my lungs. That was yeah. it. You know, just um, it was this European power metal was this new thing for me. And like you had Iron Maiden, but now you had Scandinavian power metal and that was a different world. So, um, yeah, we were super lucky and fortunate to sort of get this tour. So we had Stradivarius and Glory Hammer and we were sort of the opening support band. Mm-hmm. And um, we did 30 shows or thereabouts. Wow. In a them, bus? In the full-blown proper Nightliner tour bus through with Europe. With the band? We were with Glory Hammer and then the band and the crew were in another bus. So, so Stradivarius, there, was two, there buses. was two buses. So there was a bus for the two support acts and then the bu- the main bus for the main band. And the crew. And yeah. the crew. Wow, yeah. that's a great deal. Yeah, so there, there was 13 guys on each bus. Yeah. You know, so it was 12 of us sleeping band members plus the driver and then yeah. the other one was... You know the band and and you know the merch guys, the sound guys. That's the dream, man. Oh, it was it was ridiculous. So we started on <laughs> uh, October the fifth in Estonia. Yes, and then we finished in Austria on November thirteenth in Kufstein. Whoa! So um, I'll pass this one on to you so you can sort of see the dates yeah, there. So like dude, everybody at home can't sort of see this. I think we have to take a. This will definitely be a picture um for uh, for our listeners, but yeah, you can see it's like fifth, sixth, seventh. 9th, 10th, 11th, 13th. It just keeps going. There's hardly a break from October to November. There's there's not many down days. They're pretty much all the way through. So your vocalist would have to have been drinking a lot of nice teas and a lot a lot of water to, to keep up with that schedule, yeah. man. That's insane. We were super lucky. Jen Jen is a is a phenomenal singer. She's mm. ridiculously good. She's um theatre background. Yes. You know, and so and she's just She's phenomenal. Yeah. And so, for the tour, she held up. Yeah, she, ma'am. You know, she didn't do anything silly. She didn't party on. She, she understood that there's a responsibility sort of involved. Yeah. And we all really had to have that mentality to, you oh, know, we're yeah. representing Australia on this big tour and we can't afford to, to sort of stuff this up and, yeah. and not have the, the opportunity to go back again. Back again, yeah. And, um, and there it is. But so, we, we sort of flew in because we started at the start of October. Uh, it was a real exercise in logistics. How do you get your stuff there? We had 200 kilos of stuff to take with us. By the time we took our instruments, um, you know, all, all our merchandise boxes, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So we had to, to freight it to Helsinki, mm-hmm. to Finland, and then catch a ferry from Helsinki to Tallinn in Estonia and then start the first show. So it was, um, we got there a little bit early. Got to see Helsinki. Beautiful. Everybody out there, if you get the opportunity in your life to visit Helsinki, Go visit Helsinki. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Just just a beautiful, gorgeous place with beautiful, gorgeous people yeah. and and just ridiculously good. And then um, Estonia. You know, like Estonia, we thought was going to be this ex-communism grey, you know, like, oh, you know, like people going to be drinking vodka on park benches kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> leftover stuff. And I tell you, it's like walking into Game of Thrones. Wow. There's castles. There's, you know, it's, you know, we're sitting on park bench having lunch on this this marble park bench that was built in 1642 and you go Australia yeah. was 1888 you know like this is crazy in just the regular walk of life there yeah, and man. it was crazy but I'm trying to think of some funny stories the funny story sort of started early we after we sort of did the the northeastern Baltic block there we did Estonia yeah. Latvia Lithuania then we ended up in Poland and um you know we had a, I think a night off at this point so we had it was our first night off it's our, and, and so we thought, we're going to get to know the guys in the bands. Yes. You know, and so like they were saying, we're going to be at this pub and we're going to 
be drinking. If you guys are free, come down. So we're like, we can't. We have to. That's it. Because yeah. at this stage, we haven't met the guy. Well, we've met them, but we haven't talked to them. It's it's business, business, business. You yeah. get in, you do your sound check, you have your dinner, you play your show, you man your merch desk, you get back on the bus and you drive to the next city. That's yeah. that's it. It's no sort of free downtime no. during the day kind of stuff. And um, and we had this night off. So we're like, we're in Krakow and we're like, we're going. So we, we find this place and it, Poland is in the World Cup <laughs> or in Euro Champions League, whatever kind oh, of wow. thing. And and they're playing. You can't get a seat in a pub in Poland. Oh. Forget about it. So we find this place. We find we find Stradivarius, and we're sitting down. We're having a chat with them. Nobody. Poland don't use the euro. They've got their own currency. Ah. And I'd taken. There was an ATM there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go and take this. There was no one at this ATM, but the other ATM was packed. Hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to go and take this this my money out at this ATM. No one's using it. Minimum withdrawal was two hundred and fifty dollars Australian. That's why no one was using it, right? So oh. I'm like, but I didn't know. So I'm like, you know what? We need the money. So we go there, and then we find this pub. We find Stradivarius, and we're sitting in a corner where you can't see a TV because nobody's sitting in those seats because everybody's watching the soccer. Sure. So like, they're the the only free seats is where you can't see the TV in this pub, you know. Mm. And um, and then they're like, oh, we need to pay for the drinks. Oh, who's got you know, Polish currency. And I'm like, boys, drinks are on me <laughs> because I've got so much of this cash. I've got to get rid of it in the next three days because we're leaving Poland. We're back to and Euro, the, the you know? Trans, the, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so that, that was kind of that. So we got to meet the band. We got to, to sort of break the ice, have a bit of a bonding session between us all. It was really nice. We did that. And then on the way home, we're like, we're, we're walking and we were playing in this industrial estate and we'd crossed a river and walked probably about three Ks to get there. And we're walking, and, and it's in one of the tour videos, and, and we're, I'm like, I think we're going the wrong way, and, and Dave, the keyboardist, is like, nah, nah, it's this way, we keep on going. So we stop this random guy, it's two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, um, random guy on the street, we're blind drunk, and, well, not blind drunk, but we're kind of yeah, well on the way to being blind drunk, Yeah, and we stopped this bloke and say, listen, we need to get here. And he goes, you go on the wrong way. <laughs> but he was so nice. He walked us for another like kilometer and a half back Jeez. in the right direction, pointed us and, and got us home. Like just, you know, if, if anyone thinks it's unsafe, you know, don't do anything silly and it, it's safe. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like that, you know? So, you know, obviously you're not going to walk into the red light district in a back alley and, and start carrying on. Right. But exactly. You know, yeah. but if you're doing, you're respectful to the culture and yes. you know, it's safe and they're beautiful people. And it was a beautiful place. So that was kind of the first, uh, you know, thing that had sort of happened to us there. Mm. And it was, you know, we had a story to tell the next day. So it was great, you know? Oh, so that's cool, man. And then, um, and then we were going from, uh, the next Poland show, Warsaw to Berlin, now this is where the uh, the politics on the road sort of started. Not politics, but the the phallic measuring ha- started happening. <laughs> yeah. So we had pull up banners for our live set, and um, because we didn't have the big banner at the back, Stradivarius had their big banner at the back. Of course, yeah. And we had our pull up banners, and we had to. Well, we didn't have to load the trailer of the gear of the nighttime, but we we like to supervise it just to know our gear's going in there because if we miss anything. You're stuffed. You know, Warsaw to, to Berlin is, is six hours away. So yeah, yeah. Um, we're not going back for it. You know, so if, if someone loses a guitar, if someone loses a snare, you know, it's not coming back. No. And um, one of the pull-up banners was left out on the trailer, uh, mud, oh, Mudguard. Yeah. And so we get into Poland and then all of a sudden the tour manager and the bus driver are like, your, your banner's been on the mudguard all the way. The police were involved. It could have fallen off and killed someone on the freeway. This and, and we're like, oh, listen, guys, there's no way you just drove 600 kilometers with this banner 
sitting on the mud flat, right? But they're going like, and then they had a real go at us here. So like the, the so you loaded tool, the van. Well, uh, the trailer we were part of the loading, you know. So like ah. of, of all the equipment that was yeah. going into the back of the trailers that were on the uh, on the buses there, right? And um, and then they had a real go at us, but I think they were they were testing us, hmm. seeing how we'd we react in a in a kind of situation. We forgot it. It genuinely was our fault. Yes. They'd picked it up and they'd put it back on their bus, but then they'd told us that it, it had made the journey from... So they were full of shit. Yeah, from Warsaw to Berlin. They were messing with they you. They were messing with you. But it's a practical joke, right? So at the oh. same time, but this is a practical joke coming from Bavarian, large Bavarian fellows, and right? And this is the, t- the tour guy. Like the, the tour, tour manager, manager, right? Sasha most awesome dude in the world Sasha you're a champion but if Sasha approached you yeah right you just if Sasha stayed away for you the whole tour you're in a good way yeah, right? but yeah. if he was coming near you mate, you're in and, trouble you know your 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 um your sphincter started pulsating <laughs> <laughs> like like a frog in heat you know like and it was so how, um how did it get resolved well you know they kind of had their go we, we we did our best to manage it we said sorry as much as we could and and then they kind of saw but we kind of at the same time stood our ground and said you know thanks very much but you you're full of you know rubbish here because you know that is not physically possible and yeah. if it was johnny you're the greatest bus driver yeah. in the world because polish roads look like the surface of of the moon yeah. right and then, as soon as they said that you were like something doesn't smell it, right it's here. not right you know yeah, and then that's yeah. it so that was them having a go at us but then at the same time they were testing us and, and yeah. so that was that was resolved and that was really cool and then after that everything was awesome you know yeah, and yeah. um i'm just trying to think of other stuff that was there you know like um we missed a couple of shows because the singer from Stradivarius got sick. Oh, really? He, he ended up getting a throat infection, had to go back to Finland. Yes. So we missed a couple of shows. We stayed in Munich for a couple of days then yes. at a caravan park, you know, but we got to, to go out and explore, which was yeah. awesome. So it, it was um, very, very cool. And then um, Spain, well, what happened? We played in Sevilla. It was a Sevilla. And we were in this industrial area on the other side of the highway from the main town. Right. And we wanted to get into main town. It was either Valencia or Sevilla. It might have been Valencia. Yeah. And um, and we had to walk through like a shanty town next to the highway yes. to get to some other little village, then catch a bus across the freeway because you weren't allowed to walk on the on the bridge across the freeway. Oh. And, it, and it was crazy. And then sort of what had happened, so we got into this main town, you know, Valencia, Sevilla, whichever one it was. I, I apologize because I don't remember. And, um, and we're there. And, and we've had an awesome day out. It's awesome. It's beautiful. You know, it's your typical Spanish city, you know, and it's amazing. And we, we catch a taxi because we're like, all right, time to go back now. Mm. And on our running sheet, the venue had been changed. Oh. But not on our, on our kind of sheets that we have. We've got the old venue. But the venue had changed in the meantime, like during our travels for the, the tour, for this right. half tour. So we haven't been updated on the new venue address or anything like that. So we've jumped in the cab and we said, take us to this dress. He's taken us in and it's, it's closed. And, and the buzzing, we're like, this is not where we're supposed to be. It's like 11 o'clock at night in the middle of Spain and we don't know how to speak Spanish. We oh. don't know how to describe where we're coming from. Yes. We, we have nothing. And we're trying to explain that we're playing a concert. Yes. And we need to get there. And... And it was crazy. Like, I don't even know how we got back. It was ridiculous. And, um, yeah, so, so where we ended up was totally not where we were supposed to be. Was it the day before? Did you actually miss the show? No, or? we didn't miss the show. So it was the day before. So yeah. if we're getting back that late, it would have been... Let me see if we've got a day off here. So 
Yeah, so there was a day between Sevilla and Valencia, so it would have been Valencia, and it would have been the day before we played the Valencia show. Right, and it was. And so um, did the tour manager get in contact with you and go, "Where the hell are oh, you?" Oh, we boys? finally got back. Yes. I, I don't know how we described like big white building back of other side of the freeway, uh, petrol station near there, and and he got us there. Awesome cab driver, oh, right. <laughs> with broken English. So and you were just, just trying to get back to the the, the, the main venue. hub of of the other band, so that you could all go together. No, no, no. So, so we were on the other. We were in the city side. Yeah. But the buses were parked at the venue. That's right. where we were sleeping. Okay. On the buses. So, yes. so we were in the city for the day. We'd gone out. That was oh. it. And we're trying to get back to the buses to go to bed. Yeah. That's it. You know. And and like when we said we want to go here, it was the wrong place. So you thought the buses would have been moved on already to the next venue? No, no. no. Uh, the venue had been changed so the address that we gave the cab driver to go to mm. was the original venue that we weren't at anymore we were at the new venue yes yeah, so the buses had already gone to the new venue and you didn't know yeah so so that was that day we'd left from that new venue to go into the city ah we'd left like we every everyone knew oh, so you didn't know that that was where you needed we to go back to yeah we didn't we didn't oh, know now i'm with you we didn't know that on our sheet that this is the wrong venue yes. like that the venue had actually been changed to the new place where we parked we thought the place that we parked was the address of the other place but it was oh. a totally different place on okay. the other side yeah, and it was yeah, crazy yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's it's like being on the other side of the ring road yeah. and then here is where the venue is but then it says that the venue that we're playing that night is the other side of the ring road Far out, and man. we're over there so so that was crazy we thought we're never getting back we're lost in Spain like, yeah. you know, like it was crazy and then um, then where do we go after that you know Barcelona oh, all this kind of stuff we went to Z7 in um, Pratlin in uh it's on the border of, of France, Switzerland, yeah, yeah, the kind yeah. of thing there. And um, that was amazing, massive, big venue. Now, life on the roads of international touring kids, especially when you're on a bus and especially when you're gone for two months, a washing machine is like seeing a gold pot at the end of a rainbow. Yeah, right. It is ridiculous. I you can know? imagine. So, like, you know, you only take so much clothes. You've got your stage clothes. You're playing them every night. You're stinking, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and if you had a washing machine at the venue, mate, this was five-star service. You know, it didn't matter what you had a shower, you're happy. If it had a washing machine, you're happy. Stoked, yeah. You know, and then um, and then it had one washing machine, so we had to write on a big list. Everybody, because the whole the whole crew, the whole all the bands, everybody's taking in turns to do their their loads of washing laundry, here. You know, yeah. So we start at eleven o'clock in the morning, and and washing gets finished at two o'clock in the morning when we leave. You know, like it, oh, it's a whole yeah. day's worth. Yeah. And then um, I remember sort of. The singer from Stradivarius, you know, Timo, who I'm, I'm a huge fan of just because, you know, I heard his voice as, as a 20-year-old and just gone, mate, this guy is, is an absolute legend. And um, he's like, I've got some room in my wash. Who's got some wash? And I'm like, I do. So, like, I'm like, we chuck it all in the wash together. <laughs> there I am, I'm washing clothes with, with Timo. And I'm like, this is ridiculous, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then with the wash finishes and then we're pulling the washing out and we're sitting on the table and we're, oh. Jason, I think these are your underwear. <laughs> I'm like, well, Timo, I think these are your And it's like, man, I'm passing underwear to Timo. Like, this is crazy. And so, like, that was, like, the highlight of, of my life, you know? Like, that is so How do you do great. that? You know, so that, that was ridiculously cool. Just, yeah, just, man. Now it's sort of halfway through the tour. Everybody knows everybody. Sure. Everybody's super friendly, and um, we're all getting along, and, and it's a lot of fun. And yeah. so we did that. And I think, like, the biggest part, the last show, like, everywhere was awesome. I think the best... One of the best parts about this, this tour was so big that we got to... I, I could tell you a story from every every place we went. Yeah. But um, we got to visit a lot of small towns. Yes. So it wasn't only major cities. And, and I think sort of people in Australia, um, 
it's something we miss because we don't have the population in our small town centres to, to, to warrant or to validate us playing there. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas here we were driving for four hours and we we're playing to another thousand people and we we're driving for four hours and we we're playing to another thousand people. Like, we can't even fathom that here. Yeah. You know, here we drive to Canberra or Sydney, it's 10 hours away just to play to, you know, another hundred people, yeah, let, let alone another thousand people. So it's... um. There was a lot of stops along the way, you know, four-hour stops. There was a couple big drives, but, you know, it was sort of four to six hours was between town centres. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, it, it, we got to visit small places, which was the best. You know, we got to see how country towns live. We got to meet country town people. We got to meet country town fans, yeah. which was ridiculously good. We were in Poland there, and, and people have brought an Australian flag to the show. They're in the front row. They're singing no, our songs, you know. Whoa. It was crazy. So... Um, it wasn't just because we were a support band. We had fans there for us, which was awesome. That's amazing feeling, the, yeah. Yeah, and so we got to see all these these awesome little small towns, Austria, you know, Switzerland, um, Spain. I'm looking at my list here because there's so many to go through. Netherlands, yeah. you know, um, Belgium. Belgium was awesome, you know, and, and it's um, just places that you wouldn't visit when you go do your European holiday. No, exactly. No, you can't cram that many places into two months. Not a chance, you know. And and you wouldn't want to either because you want to stay in one place and enjoy yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's a very different animal. And then um, at the last show, you know, like... um, Yeah, tell us about the last show. The last show was not what we expected. The the show before it was this huge show Mm. um, in Denmark. No, not in Denmark. Was oh in Germany, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, in Karlsruhe and it was unbelievable. We played Hamburg and Karlsruhe awesome shows. And then we go and play this show in Austria, sort of in the mountains, kind of close to Munich, so it's just over the border. Yeah. And then the bass player from Stradivarius is like, Let's go for a bit of a hike up this mountain. And it's like, all right. And so we go, oh, it's only two kilometers or something. So we did it. It ended up being seven kilometers up, the seven oh. kilometers back. It was ridiculous. It took us all day. And then we came back and we're like, we're going to miss sound check. Like when we left in the morning, you know, and it was crazy good though. Um, just, it, it was, the hills were alive with the sound of music. It was yeah, ridiculously right. it good. It really scenic yeah. and beautiful. And then, um, and then on that last show, um, I got to get up and play the last song, bass with Stradivarius. I got oh, to play dang. "Hunting High and Low." You know the bass with with the with the band. I'm standing next to Jens Johansson, who was Ingwe Malmsteen's keyboardist, and I'm like fangirling like a million <laughs> percent because I loved Ingwe Malmsteen growing up. Wow. I'm standing next to him playing bass of one of my favourite songs of all time. Yeah, with the band and and we're all on stage singing along, and yeah. it was just crazy, unbelievable. You know, That's so, so cool, man. Um, and it, it was just yeah, real surreal experience and. Um, um, touch wood. Yeah, you know, whoop, you can hear all the the springs yeah, going. Touch wood, man, yeah, touch Yeah, um, you know that there's going to be many more. You know, like that mm. too. You know, when you come back, so have you been back since 2015 or nah, not yet? Nah. You're hoping that it'll happen again. Well, we're looking to do a different, maybe a Scandinavian kind of region because we missed that. Yes, and um, and then looking to go to Japan. Okay, as well. cool. Yeah, as a support band for those for that band again, not, or maybe not for this band now. You know, just maybe our own thing or okay. work it out now. But yeah, you know, yeah, more tools are definitely on on the horizon there. Yeah, cool. You know? um, and so, can you tell the listeners a little bit about the, um, um, for want of a better word, ascension of the the popularity of the band and like how you said like there was people in Scandinavia singing your music. Like how how did you, your music a band from Melbourne reach all of these? fans in um in europe yeah so the band was very lucky so before i joined they released their first album as the truth appears and um that they were sort of directed to approach a management company Mm -hmm. when they approached that management company they liked the band Mm -hmm. 
management company approached record labels yep. and they got signed by a record ah. label, you know. So um, two record labels, a Japanese label and, a, and an American Europe distributor record label. Right. You know, and um, so so that was very lucky. So so um, the product was then distributed in, you know, you put in advertising. As much as we love this online culture that we have, mm. um, you know, these guys out of these record labels still have 30 years of connections yes. in their belt and they, they know who to talk to and they know where to place stuff. We can use social media and, and it's an awesome tool and, and we need to use it and we need to embrace it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not the answer of everything. Yeah, you, you know, still it, need that person as a um, a force for your band, as a representative As a representative, you know. In another country so that when you go there, there's actually people at the venue. Yeah, like, like we can advertise on, on YouTube all we want, but we don't know if we're going to make that reach to... to uh, Nicaragua or Guadalajara, you know, but if, exactly. if we've got a distributor of a record label who puts a CD in a store and a, and a, a banner up or something like that, now yeah. we've got reach in... And, you know, and radio play over there as well. Costa Rica, absolutely, you know, so yeah. and, and that's sort of how that worked. And then the second album came out, we switched record labels, mm. um, we went to a Scandinavian one because, you know, our music's more European influenced. Yes. Um, and um, he, he's great. Yeah. He's great. And he just distributes in, in a great way and, and gets the band in places where, where people notice it. And, Perfect. Um, and so we're, we're getting fans yeah. around the world come to the show. You know, we're getting yeah. comments on, on the videos and on the, the message boards there. And um, and then now with our newest album, the reach has, has gone even further now. You know? Fantastic. So it's, um, yeah, it's a good progression, man. So it's, uh, it, it's you know, a, a building thing. And I think a lot of people kind of see a band doing these things mm. And thinking that it's an overnight success. Oh gosh, yeah. You know, right? it's easy to think that. It's easy to see that they've done nothing, and now all of a sudden they're doing something. Yeah, man. When really there is ten plus years, years behind the scenes, just grinding it out of doing this stuff. Most so definitely, yeah. Um, you know, we we really have to be aware of that. And and mm. to all the listeners out there, you know, your favorite band has put in, you know, five years before you've even heard them play their first song. You know, yeah, and man. and so you know. We, we've got to respect that, you know, exactly, not yeah. only us as artists, but but as a fan when we look at them too. Well, I mean, there's exceptions to the rule. Sometimes there are a band that has been together for maybe six to 12 months and then do amazingly yeah. get, get, get that success real quickly. But usually those bands don't last very long yeah. because they're, you know, they, they have success too soon. Um, dude. One more question before we finish. <laughs> I know up. where we're going. Mate, this has we're, been a fantastic we're conversation. This. Yep. But this has been really great. Um, and something I ask all all the guests on the show. I do play a little snippet of music um, before the interview um, to give some context for the listeners. Um, and I wanted to put to you: Is there a, a, a specific song that you guys are promoting at the moment that you'd like me to play? So we've got our our single. Off mm-hmm. the latest album, The Uncovering. Yes. And it's, um, I'm trying to remember what it is. <laughs> the name of the song? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Evermore. Right Evermore. That's Evermore? the one. Nice. Evermore. So th- that's our single. That's that's the one that's released. You'd like me to play a little bit of that? Uh, Evermore, if you like. If you like, and you can find a copy of Beyond the Line. That's a fun one. A- anything um, that's that's a, a fun track that I, I think really, um, we're, we're, this album has moved in a little bit of a direction. Sure. In a, in a different way. You know, everything evolves. And um, I think that that song encapsulates a lot more of us experimenting with the progressive nature of our music. Yes. And so it, it's it's fun. It's a fun song. Awesome, man. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll play a little bit of both. Oh, amazing. Let's, let's do that. Yeah. dog, you're amazing. Man. <laughs> awesome, man. And so if we want to follow Divine Ascension on the social channels, obviously you've got your Facebook, your YouTube, um, your Instagram, all that stuff. Yep. Cool. All, all that stuff, all that stuff. And awesome. uh, even a Twitter. And then, you know, you've got divine-ascension.com. 
as you well, know, the yeah, website as well. The website. Well. So you can go there and it, and it can lead you to anything there. Um, yeah, beautiful. To all those directions. But, you know, hit us up on social media, send us a message. We love hearing from fans, you know. Like, yeah. again, we're, we're a real hands-on band. We're not, we're not passing anything off to anyone else. Mm. We're the guys making the clips. We're the guys answering your messages. We're the guys, yeah. you know, doing... You know all the film clips, all the music, all, all the everything. So yeah. you know if you, if you do send us a message, it's it's one of us that are getting back to you. So we'd love to hear from you. Beautiful. Well, thanks again, Jason. It's been fantastic talking with you on the art of touring, and uh, we will see you on the road. Yes, you will. Most definitely. <laughs> There's going to be an album launch in uh, twenty. What are we in? Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. When's the launch? Tell us about. Well, it. we don't know about the launch yet. So yeah, but it's, keep your ears. It's in peeled. the works. It's going to happen. We have to. Beautiful. See you soon, dude. All the best, guys. Ciao, bye. And that's a wrap, Sizzlers, episode 41, all done. Thank you for listening. You listening at home, you listening in your car, you listening on the train, you listening, you know, in the shower, making a meal. Thank you for listening. Uh, If you are listening and you're enjoying the show, please give the podcast a share on social media. Use the hashtag Art of Touring Podcast. Maybe take a photo of yourself with your headphones in your car, maybe once you're parked, of course, and be like listening to Art of Touring with the SysDog hashtag Art of Touring Podcast. That would blow my mind if someone did that. Do it. You'd be good at it. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with me, please email me directly at artofdouringpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you'd like to come on the show. You never know. Just uh, hit me up and you could be a future guest. Uh, you can listen to Art of Touring on Wooshka and you can download it on iTunes. If you have enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the podcast app on your specific device and write a short review. And stick around next week for another brand new episode every single Tuesday for free. Get in on the regular with old mate. Siriani. Now, let's get into some plugs. The theme music for The Art of Turing is a song called Start a Fire by The Passouts, which is available to stream on Spotify or download on iTunes. You can grab the whole debut album by The Passouts on all digital platforms. And if you'd like to grab a physical copy of, of that album on either CD or glorious coloured vinyl, you can. Uh, just go to thepassoutsband.bandcamp.com where you can get all our gear, merchandise, uh, including T-shirts, stickers, posters, and even skateboards. I've got a couple of those floating around here as well. So you'd, if you'd like a skateboard, you could get one. Uh, if you'd like to see me play live, I'm doing a solo acoustic covers show on Friday, the 1st of February, at the Sporting Globe in Plenty Valley, near South Morang there, uh, from 8 to 11 p.m. That's all from me this week. Before I go, I have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelt W-A-H-L. Big, big thanks to my guest this week, Jason Maracas from Divine Ascension. Uh, be sure to check out all their social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you know the deal, folks. And they are having an album launch very soon, so follow them so you can find out about that as soon as they announce. Uh, that's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of Art of Touring with us is now.
Remember, this week's podcast is brought to you by Kramer's Shower Garbage Disposal Solutions, the only place to go to install garbage disposals in your shower. There's an interesting conversation that it's the... What's, what's the words I'm looking for? It's the event mentality. Yes. Melbourne's got an event mentality. Yeah. They don't have a live gig mentality. But if there's an event on... Yeah. Everyone comes out of the woodwork. That's really interesting you say that. Yeah. So, like, if, like, like you know what? If fucking Iron Maiden are playing... Fucking oh, everyone goes... Matter, yeah. It doesn't you know, matter if it's a Tuesday night and yeah. they've got work tomorrow. They'll be there. That's it. And, yeah, you know, exactly. if there's something on at Hi-Fi Bar, you know, fucking Wednesday night, middle of the week... You got yeah. you got you got seven hundred people at Hi-Fi Bar. Yeah, you know because it's an event. That's right. But if it's a gig, it's a Saturday night. You got an awesome slot. People are like, oh, yeah, man. Don't know if I can go or not. Exactly. Yeah, Melbourne's got an event mentality. Wow, that's why I love this podcast because stuff <laughs> just. <laughs> blows my mind you know because everyone has a different perspective yeah you know yeah. everyone's coming from a different spot um and to hear that kind of take on the melbourne scene is very interesting so i like to do this little bit of preamble um before the podcast oh you can if you need to take it man go for it because we haven't started yet it's the singer do it yeah yeah yeah. you can answer it it's all good all right let me see what she wants yeah yeah put on speaker <laughs> breaker breaker Good, what's going on? Oh, not much. I thought I'd just give you a call because I got your email. <gasps> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so we're not going to Hawaii now. We're going to Poland. Oh, my gosh. Is she okay? Yeah, yeah, she's all good. She's better now. She was um a bit crook. And then um just before Christmas, like five days before Christmas. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, so, so like... You know, that's what you go and do. If your mum has a heart attack and she's in a different country, you go and visit your mum as soon as possible, you know? And so so because we had the time off, we said, see you later, Hawaii, and um, hello, Poland, minus nine temperatures. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my gosh. And that's it. And that's it. But no, no, all good. But can I fill you in on it later? Because I'm just going to do a podcast with Dave uh, Sharini at the moment. And then we're going to have a bit of a chat, okay. and then I'm going to let you know how it all goes. Okay, sounds awesome. Awesome, but thanks for the call anyway, but everything's all good, and I'll, I'll fill you in this week, and we'll, we'll work out what we're doing. All right, cool. Thanks, Cha- Champion, all the best. Ta-da. Bye. Our first caller on the Art of Touring, <laughs> <laughs> impromptu. We'll have to get her permission if we want to use it. That's it. So, Fantastic. Yeah, so the girlfriend's mum had a bit of a turn. Oh, man, I'm sorry. She's good. She's good. She's good. Knock she's good. Wood. She's all right, yeah. man. We're talking on Skype. She's she's giving up the cigarettes. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's a good thing. And yeah. um, so she's good. And uh, she's looking better and feeling better than she ever has. It's been, it's kind of like uh, the hair needed to be pulled out of the drains. You know, Just, what, I'm you're a bit of a bearded man. I'm a bit of a bearded man. I know what the, the and, hair uh, pull out of the drain, but I've never heard it as a metaphor. What do well, you mean? Well, Cholesterol clogs your arteries. Oh, okay. And um, that's and so she yeah. was feeling shit for a while. That's a good metaphor. I like and, that. And um, yeah, so you have to uh, bend down in the shower and 
all the yucky stuff out. You know, <laughs> it's <laughs> well, I mean, think how hard I've got it. I've got long hair. My and lady has and the beard. My oh. lady has long hair, mate. And once the twins start having oh. showers instead of baths, forget about no, it. No, you're in I'm, trouble. I'm gonna have to get an industrial drain <laughs> thing. Out. <laughs> you got the garbage disposal put That's in the it. shower. Just chew it down. <laughs> like Simon. <laughs> Remember that episode where Kramer gets the garbage disposal in the shower and he starts cooking his food in there and shit? Oh, disgusting. There you go. Oh, my gosh. Brilliant. <laughs>